0: From Revelations 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrifices to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold... what some, what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Please be to God.
1: Well, once again, good morning. If you are uh, new with us this morning, we are currently working through the seven letters that Jesus writes to the church that we find at the very beginning of Revelation, and our goal is to be listeners. Uh, We believe that Jesus is speaking not just to those churches, but also to us today, and that our calling is to allow the Spirit to speak to us, to form us as we seek to be his faithful church in this day and age. And as we prepare ourselves for that, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, we, uh, as we do every week, acknowledge our utter dependence upon you. We need you not only to be the one who speaks to us, which you have, but we need you to help us to listen. And as we think of those final words, and in, in this is with every letter, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would enable us to hear what your spirit is saying to us, that we might be more and more the church you've created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how you feel about making decisions. Probably some of you are more decisive and comfortable making decisions. I am not. I find that, for me, I always want to know every bit of information on both sides, look at things from both ways, and take as long as I can to make any important decisions. That's just kind of my, my makeup. But there are some times where we absolutely have to be decisive, where remaining undecided is not an option for us. And C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, Mare Christianity, speaks of one such time. He says, I am trying here, in his argument that he's making in this moment, to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I think Lewis has it exactly right here, that scripture presents us with a choice. It it comes to us intentionally presenting us with a crisis moment. If we listen to God's word carefully, we will realize that we are not allowed to stay indecisive, to be in this vague ambivalence about what to do with Jesus. Either we conclude that he is a fraud or a fool and we dismiss him. Or we conclude that he is who he says he is, the son of God, and we fall at his feet and worship him and declare him our king. He is either nothing or he is everything. There is no in-between. Scripture, if we listen to it, pushes on us a decision that you and I must make. Now that's something that we see throughout the Bible. It's not just in the New Testament. We, we looked earlier at the call to worship at Psalm 2, perhaps you remember that, where, where God speaks, and this is this prophetic moment looking into the future. He speaks to this, this king. He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. It speaks of how this king will be such a great king that all the nations will crumble. He will rule them with a rod of iron. And then it says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. And said, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you hear? It is pushing us to a decision. Because there is this one king who rules over all, this son of God, you have a choice. You either kiss him, and the idea of kissing in that day was the idea of swearing allegiance, saying, you are my king, I owe everything to you. Either kiss him or reject him. And if you reject him, he will be angry, but if you take refuge in him, you will be blessed. This is the crisis that scripture forces upon you and upon me. There is no in-between. And I, I make reference to Psalm 2 because, because it's at the background, it's underpinning Jesus' words to this church, the church of Thyatira. Really, if you want to understand how to read the book of Revelation, you need to realize that throughout, there are kind of what you might call ancient hyperlinks. That is, you have phrases, words that are meant to push you back to some Old Testament passage so that when you're hearing Jesus, when he's using that imagery, you import everything that he's referring to back in the Old Testament. And in this passage, you have two different hyperlinks to Psalm 2. We see it at the very end of this letter. If you don't have it open, I invite you to have it open because I'll be kind of walking through this with you. But at the very end, you see this reference to the, uh, he will rule with a rod of iron as when earth and pots are broken in pieces. That's almost a direct quote from Psalm 2. And it's meant to make us think of Psalm 2. But we also see it at the very beginning where he says the words of the Son of God. Jesus saying, I am the person spoken of in Psalm 2. I am the king that God has given authority over all the world to. I am the one that you must decide what to do about. In fact, it doesn't just say the words of the Son of God. It says the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire And whose feet are like burnished bronze. The idea of eyes like fire means that he says, I am one who can penetrate through the lies, through deceptions. I can burn through all of that and see things clearly. And to say his feet are like burnished bronze means that he can crush with his feet all that opposes him. In other words, this is not someone that you can deceive. This is not someone that you can overthrow. Your only option is to decide how to respond to this king who rules over all. I am the son of God, Jesus says. I am the one who forces on you a decision on a crisis. What will you do with me? And as the letter begins, we see that this church that he is speaking to, the church in Thyatira, are a people who have recognized that Jesus is the son of God. They have declared him king. And so Jesus begins with really glowing words about this church. Notice he says, I know your works. Your love and your faith, your service and your patient endurance. This is a healthy church. This is a church that if you were a part of, you would have felt God is doing something among us because people are showing love to each other, not just that superficial niceness, but they're caring deeply even when it's hard and they're, they're trying to serve their community around them. People are, are having their faith in Christ even when it is difficult, even when they are being persecuted. They are continuing to say, Jesus is my king, and they're speaking about that to the world around them. This is a vibrant church. And it's not just that they're vibrant, they're a growing church. Notice Jesus says, your latter works exceed the first. They are experiencing the life-changing love of Jesus. They are becoming more compassionate, more humble, learning more what it means to reflect the love of Jesus to the world around them. The Spirit is at work in them, and it is a beautiful thing. And yet, Jesus says, There is a danger that is before you. He says, but this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. What we have in the church of Thyatira is the mirror opposite to the first church we looked at. Maybe you remember this a few weeks ago. Do you remember the church in Ephesus? Jesus said about that church that they are good at hating the false teaching, but here's what you are missing. You have lost love. Well, the church in Thyatira, here's what Jesus says, you are loving and it is beautiful. But here is your problem. You are too tolerant. He says, this I have against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, perhaps this is surprising. As many of us know, Christianity has the reputation for being too intolerant. And we should own up to the fact that we are not faultless, that there are many ways that at times we have been judgmental, that we have been arrogant, that as people have sought to speak to us about things that we disagree with, that we have not listened, all of those things are true. But I also want to suggest that this criticism, I think, misses the mark, because Christianity is not any more intolerant than any other belief system. Because here's the thing. If you place your hope in anything, if you have some vision of what makes life good, some hope for what will be good for society, by necessity that will inevitably mean that there is intolerance at the same time. Hope and intolerance go together. We are intolerant of whatever stands in the way of what we hope in. And that's true for every different group of opinion. So in conservative circles, I mentioned a few weeks ago that that one of the common ways that hope is expressed is this belief that anyone, if they work hard enough and they make virtuous decisions, that anyone can make of their lives something that is good. That is the hope that many people believe is what stands the American dream. And so when people have that hope and they see someone who stands opposed to that hope, someone that appears to them lazy or maybe someone who has had a drug problem or a gambling addiction and so now they are in a terrible situation. You can sometimes hear people say, we should not help them because they have done this to themselves. That's intolerance. But it's not just in conservative circles. Think about maybe the more progressive or liberal circles. And they are not as much focused necessarily on hard work and virtuous living. The, the hope that, that perhaps organizes them is this belief in pluralism, that we need to be welcoming and accepting to all sorts of different races, of both sexes, of both lifestyles, or whatever. We need to allow and respect every difference that exists within our community. And there's the belief that only if we can do that, will our society become a beautiful society. And that sounds incredibly tolerant until you think about what the other side of that is. What happens when someone appears to be racist in any way, or sexist in any way, or homophobic? Anyone who stands in the the way of this principle of pluralism, it's not just that there's an argument. You can see drastic intolerance. They can be fired. They can be silenced. They are seen as the enemy. It is intolerance. And my point is not to kind of say, look, everyone is bad. It's to say that intolerance is inevitable, that when we have hope in something, that means we are intolerant of what stands in the way. Just think for a moment. Imagine that you are a doctor in the age where modern medicine is just beginning to come together, and you understand how hygiene works and how germs work, and you are in this backwater village where there's still an old doctor who believes that they should bleed people to get the bad spirits out and that they're they're not even thinking about sterilizing their equipment when they're bleeding you are going to be intolerant of that because you so hope you so want this community to be healthy you are going to do everything you can to resist these lies about how health happens that's not bad that's loving if you hope in something and you believe something is the solution, is the direction that you must go in, you will be intolerant of what stands opposed to that. The reason Christianity seems intolerant is because people don't recognize how important it is. It seems odd to people that this would be so significant, but Jesus doesn't see it that way, of course. Jesus knows that our hope, our hope is in him alone. And so he is deeply intolerant of whatever stands in the way of that hope, of whatever stands in the way of people taking refuge in him. So that's why he is saying, you should not tolerate this woman Jezebel because she is leading you away from me. She is leading you away from where your refuge is found. Now, what's going on with this person? Almost certainly her name is not Jezebel. We'll get get to the reason for her name in a moment. But we see from what Jesus says that she claims to be a prophet. That is, she says she is speaking in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. And we can tell from what Jesus says that she has gathered a group around her, people who are influenced by her maybe because of her charisma, but perhaps also because she knows how to appeal to their sense of pride. I mean, notice how Jesus says in verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, that is, who have not learned what some call the deep things. So this teacher is saying that I am speaking of the deep things. Now, Jesus names it differently. They're the deep things of Satan, Jesus says. But she thinks that she is speaking of the deep things. You know, perhaps Christianity 101 might see it this way. But if you get more mature... If you really step back and and move away from maybe being quite so literal and simplistic, you will see things much more broadly, much more maturely. You can just imagine this group of people who, who are appealing to the fact that they are the inner circle. They are the ones in the know. And verse 20 tells us about the outcome of this teaching. Jesus says, She is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food, sacrificed idols. This should sound familiar to us because just last week we encountered this and even the couple weeks earlier this seems to be the the hallmark of the teaching of the Nicolaitans and so many commentators think that this teacher that Jesus calls Jezebel is a teacher of the Nicolaitans. That is when she is saying let me tell you the deep things what she is saying is if you really understand things If you really understand the mysteries of God and spirituality, you will realize that it is not important to God whether you are participating in parties where idols are being sacrificed to. God doesn't care. And you'll realize that God cares more about your soul than your body, so it doesn't really matter what you do sexually. God doesn't care. Now, I want to say that Jezebel is a teacher that we find in every generation, and we certainly find Jezebel in our generation. I mean, sometimes it comes in the form of the really cool pastor with skinny jeans and and a hipster haircut, Or, or sometimes it's the academic who is, you know, going deep into scripture. But whatever it is, there are sometimes people who say, if we really understood, we would realize we're no longer in that kind of immature, fundamentalistic, Puritan time, that if we really understand that the Bible is about grace, it's about forgiveness, it's about tolerance, God cares much more about a relationship with you than about what you do. Each of us have our own relationship with Jesus to follow. Each of us have our own truth to be true to. And that is who we should be, and that is what should direct us. That's Jezebel. Now, if you think about what that's saying, this is denying the very truth that we began with. Because what it's ultimately saying is there's a third option. You could reject Jesus. You could surrender to him in every way, or you could be in between where you think Jesus is great and you try to have a good relationship with him, but yet you get to decide what to do with your own life. It's a teaching that says you don't need to kiss the son because he's never going to get angry. But we see what Jesus says about that. Jesus says you must not tolerate this. When he calls the teacher Jezebel, he's, he's saying something very significant. Jezebel was the infamous queen in the Old Testament of Israel, a queen who came to power because a king of Israel married her, even though she was not an Israelite, even though she was a Baal worshiper. And because she was allowed to come to power, she silenced the word of God. She killed prophet after prophet who spoke the word of God. And she led God's people into idolatry, into worshiping Baal. She was terrible for the people of God. And Jesus is saying, that's who this person is. This teacher is Jezebel. This teacher is leading you away from me. She is destroying people in your church. You must not tolerate her. And At this point, I think we need to ask ourselves, what does this mean for us? Most of us don't really have anything to do with deciding whether we tolerate false teachers. That's kind of more of a a church leadership decision. But we do have choices about what we do with false teaching. And so hearing Jesus' strong warning, we should ask ourselves, to what extent have we allowed false ideas, false teaching to, to shape, to influence the way we view our relationship with the Son of God? Because false teaching can come in a number of different ways. It can come in a a therapeutic way. Hey, we are all in process. And that's true. But if we ever use that to say, I will repent tomorrow, then we're making it into a lie. I mean, can you imagine if you were on a sports team and your coach is trying to get you physically fit and you say coach we're all in process and I don't want to run yet today that's not going to work because part of growing is continuing to do what the coach says if Christ calls us to something yes we're in process but how dare we say I'm sorry I'm not there yet or there can be the intellectualist way of distancing us from the son of god well scripture is complicated and there are many different interpretations well Scripture is not as complicated as many people say. The things that are most important are clear. But even where there is complexity, our responsibility is to do everything we can to listen, to understand, and whatever we understand, to obey. And these lies can come to us in more of a spiritual vague, that God that Jesus is more interested in a relationship with you than he is in rules. Well, that is true as long as we understand that the nature of this relationship is he is an interest in a relationship where he is the son of God and he is the king and you are the one who in every way surrenders himself, yourself to him. The reason he's not just interested in rules is because he wants more. He wants everything, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should examine our hearts, our minds, see where have we allowed... False teachings to creep in, to distance us from the call to completely surrender everything to our king. See how Jesus responds to Jezebel. He responds to this kind of falsity with both merciful patience and yet firmness. We see there's three steps in how he responds. First, it begins with a warning Verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. This is how God begins as he seeks to correct his people. He begins by warning us. Sometimes it's in a sermon or or reading scripture. Sometimes it's in the form of a Christian brother or sister coming alongside and saying, hey, I'm concerned about you. Sometimes it's just the work of the Spirit in our hearts, helping us to see this is wrong. But God in his love warns us. But then when we don't respond to warning, because that's what it says here, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses, God in his love will discipline us. Verse 22 says, those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Those being influenced by this teaching, Jesus will allow to experience the consequence of their actions. They will suffer. Sometimes God, when he knows that we are going down the wrong direction, will allow us to experience the full brunt of our foolishness, but it is not out of vengeance, it is out of love to help us to realize how wrong we are and to bring us back to enable us to repent. But finally, the third step we see for those who do not change, Jesus' response is decisive and it is final. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. In the end, Psalm 2 remains true. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Jesus is merciful and he is patient, but he will not tolerate those who reject his kingship. And Jesus explicitly says, I am telling you this, Not just to tell you what happened, but so that all of the churches might know something. Do you see what it says? And all of the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now again, we have an ancient hyperlink here. This is an allusion to a passage in Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, one of the real problems is that God's people feel very safe and secure. They think their relationship with God is great, and yet they are idolatrous and they have abandoned God. And so into this ignorance, this is what God says. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. What God is saying to his people in Jeremiah is, you might be deceived, you might think that you are right with me, but I'm the one who sees. I'm the one who judges. And my judgment is what is important. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Undoubtedly, this group of people influenced by this false teaching felt pretty good about themselves. They thought that they were at a higher level of truth. They didn't think that they were abandoning God, but Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. The heart is deceitful above all things. I am the one whose eyes are flaming with fire, who burns through deceit. And I see your heart and your mind and your lives, and I know whether you have truly made me your king and I will respond to you accordingly. You know, in the end, all the language of tolerance and broad-mindedness and being progressive or more intellectual, in the end, none of that will matter. The lies of Jezebel will be exposed, and we will discover what we've always known, that it doesn't ultimately matter what we think of Jesus. It matters most what he thinks of you and me. And whether he sees in us a faith, an allegiance, where we have kissed the Son. Jesus says, do not be deceived by this false teaching. Do not be shaped by it. Do not even tolerate it within your church or even within yourself. You are not permitted to stand in this waffling in-between ambivalence. Your choice is to reject me or to kiss me. There is no in-between Now, I want to remind you of a point that I made a few weeks ago. The, the, the words that we are hearing, though right now they sound harsh and they are sobering, they are not coming out of vengeance, they're not coming out of hatred, they're not coming out of indifference. This is the king who loves his people. And it is because he loves them that he is saying these things. It is because he is so certain of where their hope is found, where their refuge is to be found, that he is doing everything he can to protect them from losing that. And so even as he warns, he then turns his gaze to speak to those who have recognized that in him is their refuge. He says... To those who are kind of listening but are not participating in this, I do not give you any other burden. To those who are not following this teaching, who do not know these secrets, I do not give you any other burden. Here's what I think he's saying. I realize right now that you are in a difficult situation, I think Jesus is saying. Right now you have this group of people who say that they're more mature, that they know better, and perhaps you're worrying that you've missed something. I give you no other burden than what you already have. Or perhaps even right now, as you are hearing these words of warning and you know they are frightening, you are afraid that maybe you need to try harder and do more, and I give you no other burden than what you already have. Just hold on to what you have, and what you have is me. I give you no other burden than to hold on to me as your king, to trust me to let me be the one who rules, to be the ones who repent again and again because I know that you will fail. But if you fail and ask for forgiveness and repent and continue to turn to me, I give you no other burden. Just hold on to what you already have, he says. Because in me is refuge. In me is hope. And he expresses that near the end in two ways. First, he says, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end To him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. We've already said this is an allusion to Psalm 2 and here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that if you place your hope in me, I share my authority with you. I am the king to whom all the earth has been given and as you are with me, all the earth is given to you as well. On the last day, you will celebrate because you will be on the winning side. And even now, that reality is true. Kingdom after kingdom seems so strong, and yet kingdom after kingdom falls. But the gospel goes forward, and more and more people throughout the world are recognizing that Jesus is their king. Friends, we feel so weak when we're speaking about Jesus to those who don't know him, don't we? It feels so inadequate. Do not forget that you are the one with authority. Because you have the authority of Christ. You are the authority of the king of the universe as you speak of the hope that is found in him. Jesus says, I will share my authority with those who are mine. But it's especially the second hope that I that I want us to consider. Verse 28 Jesus simply says, and I will give him, that is the one who stays faithful to me, I will give him the bright morning star. In in the Old Testament, this is another link to a passage of the Old Testament. There is a prophecy that speaks of a day far in the future where this morning star will come, this king who will conquer enemies and make all things right. Some of us have seen the morning star. If you uh, sometimes wake up in the right season of the year, you'll recognize before the dawn comes, the first sign of the dawn is this this star. It's actually Venus that we see, and and it's a sign of the dawn that is to come. Jesus says, I am that. That when you see me, I am the one who is bringing the dawn. As I have come, as I have died, I have risen again, the night is over, and a new day is dawning. A day where suffering will be no more. A day where oppression and injustice will be no more. Where death is conquered. That is what I'm, I am the morning star that signals the dawn and I will give this to you. That is, I am the king who doesn't just rule for myself. I rule for your sake. I have laid down my life for your sake. I am a king because I want to give things to you, to give you refuge, to give you joy, to give you glory. To the one who overcomes, to the one who takes refuge in me, I will give everything. Blessed are those who take refuge in me, Jesus says. You know, the truths of Christianity are deep, they are beautiful, they are profound, but they are not complicated. In the end, Christianity is is about a, a simple question Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of the universe who has died to save you? And will you commit yourself to him? Or, put even more simply, is Jesus Christ your Lord? That is the decision that scripture pushes us to. If if this morning, as you think about that question, you say the answer right now is no, I want you to know that it is not too late. It's not like you've kind of missed the window of opportunity that Jesus invites you even now to kiss the son to swear your allegiance to know that in him your hope is found that in him is complete forgiveness and love and acceptance and joy Jesus invites you to be his kingdom to be long to him as king and if you are one who has said yes Jesus is is my king, even as we heard three of our own say this morning. Jesus says, hold on to what you have. Don't be confused by things that pull you away from me. I am your king. You belong to me. In me is all hope found. Blessed are all who take refuge in the morning star. I invite you even now to to reflect on that very question and to spend time before God in silence where we have seen in our own hearts perhaps allowing lies to break in we can confess those in this time and if this morning this is a time where God is speaking to you directly I invite you to to take advantage of that and spend time talking to God and responding to him in prayer so we'll give ourselves a couple minutes of of silence for confession and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment's time would you please pray with me Lord God, even now, in this time of silent prayer, we seek to place ourselves in the right, right posture of, of kneeling before you, acknowledging that we are not our own, but that we belong to Christ. And Father, you know you know our failings. You know our inconstancy, our faithlessness, And Father, we thank you that the gospel is that we are not needing to be sinless before you. That you accept us in our sinfulness, that you forgive us, that you are leading us in the right path. And so we ask even now for your forgiveness. We ask that your spirit would enable us more and more to put our refuge in Christ Jesus and to surrender ourselves completely to him as king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel from Hebrews 10. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Friends, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are made clean and are forgiven of your sins. Thanks be to God.